This is Today with Kino Cummings on Cape Talk. A very good morning to you. Joining you now, we have Dr. Chris Smith, the naked scientist, now putting a smile on my face. Chris, good to have you on Morning, Kino. How are you doing? Much better now. My blood pressure has dropped slightly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome back. We but, missed you. It's been a couple of weeks, I think. Um, lots changed no, in that time. Of course, my country is now in a lockdown again. We're now detecting something in the region of 100,000 cases a day. You know, other than that, things are great. <laughs> You've only been, what, you barely a day into it at the moment, or just a day and a bit now yeah, at the so moment. so it all started speak. yesterday on uh, f- fireworks night, you know, the November the 5th, where we all celebrate someone oh, originally having a plan to blow up the Houses of Parliament with enormous amounts of gunpowder because they disagreed with the political situation. And... Um, <laughs> Here we are again, and there's every bit as much dissent now as there was for 400 years ago. I can believe it. I certainly, certainly can. So Dr. Christmas will be answering all your questions. So if you've got questions about everyday life, wondering how that's something that you've noticed works, Chris can normally give you an answer to that and give you a bit of a scientific twist in that as well. So please let those calls come in. Maybe I should ask a question about teenagers and how it actually physiologically works. Why is it that a lot of them become grumpy when they're teenagers? Can, do you have an answer to that? Well, I've, I've got one, and I've got one on the way. So I have some direct experience, and I have some more experience to come. And hopefully I'll have learned from my first experience. And, of course, we all have the experience of having been there ourselves. So we're very sympathetic to everyone who's a teenager at the moment because we've all been there. Yes. Um, Absolutely. Not everyone gets grumpy, but quite a few people do. Enough people do that we recognise this as a trend. We recognise that the brain undergoes enormous changes when you are going through your teenage years. This is under the influence of the surges in hormones, because as you go into your teenage years, inevitably you embrace what is that wonderful thing called puberty. And this is driven by, by increasing testosterone if you're a boy and increasing oestrogen levels if you're a girl. These have a profound effect on on the brain and they affect the way the brain develops, they affect the way the brain is wired and the brain's wiring and connectivity changes quite dramatically over those years and as it's doing so it's maturing, it's working out your place in the world and how to interact with others etc. So there's a range of things going on. One is that hormone changes do produce mood changes anyway. Testosterone is a hormone of aggression and therefore if you have higher levels of that you're going to be a bit more aggressive and younger people especially when they're feeling these big surges of testosterone when they're young they're going to get that and at the same time i know how i felt i felt quite frustrated because Mm. you're being endowed with this feeling like you want to do things and make things happen but no one will take you seriously when you're 13 14 and and let's face it you know you've got a lot of learning to do and uh, and as one famous person said You know, I I used to think my parents were stupid before I went into my teenage years. But by the time I was 18 or 19, I was quite surprised by how much they'd learned in the last five years. Uh, In other (laughs) words, it's we think we know everything. But as we get older, we learn things all the time. Uh, And there is that frustration element to it as well. So I think there's a range of things. One is Mm. hormonal changes, brain changes. But also there's the growing up thing where people don't take you seriously. And then eventually they do take you seriously. And that means that you go from being frustrated to less frustrated. And we've all been there. And I feel very sorry for people who are in that position because, uh, you know, it, it's not it's a horrible time. But you do get through it. And and uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. I'm glad. Well, what a wonderful response, actually. I would normally say just 
let them learn their own lessons. Um, as long as they're not going to be harming themselves, they also need to find their ways in the way in life. And if you're fighting with them around every corner, it does not help. But anyway, uh, let's move to Ali. Ali's in Brackenfell. Hi there, Ali. Good morning. Good morning. It's lovely to speak to you. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Smith, I have a question which nobody seems to be able to answer. Restless leg syndrome. Nobody seems to be able to tell anybody what really causes it. And it is a very frustrating problem amongst friends of mine and everyone I know. <laughs> Could you perhaps help me there? What causes it? Uh, Ali, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to echo the sentiments of others, which are that we have a only very vague inkling. Some people hear the name and they think that sounds like a made-up diagnosis. No, restless leg syndrome is a very real manifestation. It's very disabling for people who have it. It is literally where you have restless legs. The, the, the name says it all. But this means that people find it distracting, disturbing. They cannot uh, get off to sleep at night, for example, because they feel like they just can't sit still. Now, we know that the brain's movement centres probably are involved in this because we initiate movement in certain circuits in the brain, and so it may be that that has a role to play. I'm not sure about the genetics of this, whether or not people have uh, noticed whether or not there's a family history with this. There may well be. But it, it, or, or, as beyond saying this is a neurological thing, it affects a small minority of people, but it's extremely intrusive on their life. I can't help in terms of what actually is causing this. I'm happy to go away and do a bit more work, a bit more um, investigation for you on, on your behalf, Ali, before next week. I'll have that as homework, but I, I can't add anything else to that, I'm afraid, at the moment. By the way, Ali, is it, and Chris, is it restless legs? So if I sit in a car, my wife, which is why I end up sitting at the back sometimes when she drives, I always move my legs. I can't keep them still. And, you know, my, knee, my knees are always moving left to right, left to right, left to right. Um, is, is that restless legs? No, that's fidgeting, uh, being a fidgety oh. person. And you're slender and slim. And, and that's a good thing. People, but people who fidget a lot are slimmer on average. People who fidget less tend to gain more weight. And the Mayo Clinic in America actually did the study where they watched how much fidgeting people do. But fidgeting, and I'm a fidgeter, so I tend to burn off 90% of my daily calories just jiggling my legs around like you by the sound of it. Um, and and you yep. didn't, I didn't notice you doing that when we were chatting before but um no, is I'm this like a new thing the moment <laughs> <I'm doing it. laughs> no my wife's always telling me off because i'll sit there watching telly or at the table you know jiggling legs up and down and things but that's quite different from restless leg syndrome restless leg syndrome i mean ali do, do you have this i do i do i'm afraid i do and uh, nobody's been able to really help me except for rivetrol mm. which i don't like to take too often and um i wouldn't be using this as a sort of consultation except that it really does seem to be something nobody can yes. answer and uh, tell me what it is and what and causes it you know it would be really helpful so kino can appreciate that he doesn't have restless leg syndrome he's just a fidgeter yes. like me can you just yep. describe in a few words ali when you have it what happens to you and when well, it can be so bad that I actually, it wakes me up at night. Um, normally, I fall asleep without it. And then, at, you know, somewhere in the middle of the night, I wake up and I think, oh, my goodness. And the only thing I can do is get up and um, go and sort of try and relieve it by walking around, which is obviously it's awful because it wakes you up. But it's a kind of a, um, it's an undescribable feeling, actually. It's, it's right, it feels as if it's right inside your body, inside your leg, and you just cannot res uh, relax that section of your body whether it's both legs or one leg thankfully it's only in my legs so far um but yes it's it's just a, a peculiar 
uh, inability to mm. be able to relax that leg. Mm. Okay. Well, well, Ali, thank you so much for calling in and sharing that with us. <laughs> thank you very much. For no, listening. Now, now I know I'm a fidgeter, but now I've got to lose a little bit of weight. Hey, lockdown. Yeah, Just well, keep fidgeting. Just keep fidgeting. <laughs> that's the best. I'm <laughs> serious. There was a study it. done where they put people in front of cameras without them realizing why they were being filmed and correlated fidgeting rate with body weight. People who are fidgeters, probably because you're at a nervous disposition. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm always kind of thinking about what should I be doing next? Uh, am I doing the right thing? Uh, have I done everything I should do? Uh, and, and I'm always on the go. People who fidget are less fat than people who are non-fidgeters. Whether it works the other way, and if you decide this is going to be a really good diet plan, it could do. I mean, it's physical <laughs> exercise. You are, you are turning a lot of metabolic energy in, into movement into kinetic energy and waste heat and muscles are not very efficient they only use about um, 20% of the energy that, that when they move uh, is actually turned into useful movement 80% of the energy they use is waste heat so it's a really good um, method of weight loss so if you want to embrace this as an additional diet plan increase your fidgeting and uh, you're doing yourself some good <laughs> love it let's go to some of the whatsapps that you've sent hi um, my daughter is a geneticist and she told us something very interesting the other day. Um, she said she had a talk by a professor from overseas about the genetics between the African people and the Asian, pe um, the European people. And to say that the uh, African people are more immune to Corona um, because when um, they used to get their daughters married off, they used to send them to villages 200, 300 kilometers away. Um, so that there was no interbreeding, whereas in, um, um, amongst the white Caucasian population, there has been a lot of uh, interfamilial um, um, partnerships, um, especially like the British royal family, um, <coughs> hence the lack of chins and the lack of hair. But um, I'm just saying it's quite an interesting fact, and I wonder if Chris has heard this as well. So I'd just like to hear what Chris has to say about that. Chris? Uh, interesting questions. We're still learning a lot about the genetics of immunity to coronavirus people have begun to do very big genome-wide studies now what you do is you take people who've had say a good outcome with coronavirus you take people who've had a bad outcome with coronavirus and you go through the genetic code and you look for the same features that keep coming up again and again and again in people who have the bad outcome compared to the good outcome so far, it's thrown up a couple of areas. There's an area on chromosome 9, which is in the region where we de determine blood group. That goes along with the observation that people of blood group O are at lower risk a bit compared to people with blood group A. It's not huge, but it's maybe 1.1 to 1.5 times greater risk if you're group A compared to, say, group O. Even so, it's, it's a genetic association. We don't know what underpins that. Another region that surfaced is on chromosome number three, and this is a region of your genetic code that seems to be more common in people of South Asian and Bangladeshi origin. And this also agrees with the observation that they have a higher risk of getting COVID. It might be 100% higher, uh, i.e. they catch SARS-CoV-2 and get severely unwell with it, compared to people who don't have that particular piece of genetic code. There's also an association with the amount of or representation of Neanderthal DNA code in a person and their coronavirus risk. Now, we don't know why this happens to work the way it does. There is an association. The more Neanderthal that's in you, the greater the risk of, of severe coronavirus. We know that uh, when Neanderthals went off of our 
evolutionary pathway and they set up the Neanderthals that were living across Europe, uh, they would have had genes in them that would have given them advantages for the environment in which they were living. Anatomically modern humans took a different evolutionary route. They didn't have those genes, but clearly there was interbreeding between the two groups later on during their evolution. And we now still have some of that Neanderthal legacy. Now that won't be as enriched in certain African populations as it is in some European populations. That might be another reason. I hadn't considered the question about inbreeding within certain European populations. What I will say, though, is both Prince William, we learned this week, and Prince Charles, who told us at the time, back in April, have both had coronavirus and they recovered uneventfully. Uh, but then so did Donald Trump. So it may well be that people who are well looked after get better sooner. We'll just have to wait and see on that front. So I don't know the answers to the, the genetics questions. And uh, it's, it's difficult to speculate because we don't have all the answers at this stage. So it's much better that we say it's an interesting thing. We're learning all the time. We're going to have to wait and see because we just don't know yet. Thank you very much for that message. Um, we're going to be sharing some more. But first, we've got Maria, who has, uh, a, 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 I think, a solution for us. Maria, good morning. Good morning. Um I'm one of those uh, people that also suffer from restless legs, and I got the, the hint to put a potato between my feet at night. And uh, I would be very interested if Dr. Chris could do some research on this, whether it's a gas that is emitted by the potato or what it would be, but it works like a charm. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So what, any particular type? Is it a Maris Piper or a red or any particular type of potato? A potato, not a sweet potato, a regular potato. Mm. Big one, small one, new potato, old potato? Whatever you have handy. I, 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 I've never heard anyone say this. One person did say to me they put a fur cone in the bed. And and this sometimes works. I wonder if it's just that the stimulation, perhaps because you tend to bash into it with your, your feet at night, it it perhaps it causes some kind of feedback, some neurological feedback with the stimulation. I can't really understand why that would work because, of course, you're going to kick the bedclothes, you're going to have other kinds of, of sensory inputs to your lower legs if you do this. I don't think there's anything chemically to do with the potato. I think it's more, if, if it does work for you, it's either going to be a placebo effect where you do this, you have a good night's sleep, and then you assume, oh, it must be down to the potato. So you're attaching significance to coincidence. It could be that, or it could be that perhaps something about the contact, the if you keep kicking the potato without realising it through the night, perhaps that does something in a sensory way to suppress what would become the trigger for the restless leg episode i don't know but other people have told me this but then it could be one of those things where you know the story improves in the telling uh, I've, I've said i'll take some homework away for ali about this and i'll do a yes. bit of digging for you too marie and we'll see if either potatoes fur cones and just general restless leg data has has uh, got anything to say for itself by next week okay so thank you very much for that maria really appreciate it uh, naked scientist my grandma has been sleeping for years with potatoes in the bed only thing that helps with arthritis, says a message that's just come through. Yeah, again, Something it could be placebo effect yeah. because you, yeah. you expect to get a better night's sleep because you've done this and because you expect it. We know that the placebo effect is very powerful. The placebo effect for people not in the mm. know, this is where you do something with the expectation it will help something. 
And because you have that strong psychological stimulus saying this is going to help, it actually invokes the circuits in your brain that are concerned with reward, natural pain relief, etc. And as a result, you get relief even in the absence of no chemical help. So you can give someone a sugar pill, tell them that it's a very powerful painkiller, and up to 30% of the painkilling effect of, of any kind of activity will be down to that placebo effect. So it could be that, and it's a pretty powerful thing. Equally, as I'm saying, there, it, there might be something down to the fact that perhaps if there is something else in the bed with you and you're knocking into it, perhaps it makes you move around a bit more when you're sleeping or causes some kind of local sensory input through the skin, both of which can have an effect on the way pain is conveyed or sensed in the body. So it could be that that's what's going on or a combination of those things or none of those things. I don't think we, we've actually done a clinical trial on potatoes in beds for restless leg syndrome or arthritis, so I don't think we know for sure. But uh, I'll take that one away as well and see if I can find anything about this. Okay, so I've got Sonia in Edgman. Looks like we're doing the potato show today. Um, Sonia, good morning. Good morning. Yes, we are doing the potato thing this morning. And um, My aunt that lives in Elspeth told my mum, who's healing from Edgemeath as a blind lady, that ah. also for cramps, um, you know, that she should take a potato and put it in her bed because they swore by it. And my mum has been sleeping, obviously, with my stepdad, plus the potato in her bed, <laughs> innocence, and she doesn't get cramps. <laughs> that sounds hilarious. I said uh, someone who put a fur cone in the bed for, for cramps as well. That was the other reason they did it. Restless legs and cramps. Quinine is probably a better thing. And that's what doctors will dish out. If you go to the doctor with night cramps, then the drug that's usually given is quinine and does have some effect. But uh, so many people have said to me, putting things like fur cones, cotton reels and potatoes in the bed, I think it's because you boot it in the night and it makes you move around. And I think the movement perhaps in some way helps to offset the effects or, or the risk of the cramps or the restless legs or the arthritis or whatever. I think that's what's going on. OK, but Sonia, thanks for that. Joe in Pinelands. Now, Joe is a very, youth, a very youthful 92. Hello, Joe. Uh, hello, Chris. Hi. My name is started at 92 years old, and I've got a cure for restless leg syndrome, a temporary cure, which is scientific, of course. It, 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 I think it's based on aluminium or, uh, or something like that. But anyway, it's a half a teaspoonful of Epsom salts, that is English salts. Epsom salts now, are magnesium that. sulfate, and it, it's certainly true that if people become very low in magnesium, this can affect a person's biochemistry in certain ways that might lead to uh, muscle cramps and possibly restless legs. Uh, so um, I, I could see why that might have an effect. You've got to be a bit careful with Epsom salts, though, because they're also a laxative. So don't take too many Epsom salts because you might end up having restless legs for a different reason. <laughs> Chris. Um, another one here. Uh, don't know if you got the voice message, but it's the potassium of the potato that gives the relief. Not not scientifically proven. No, the, 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 there, there is going to be some potassium in a potato, but the potassium isn't going to get out of the potato and into you through your skin. The potassium we take into our bodies, we, we eat, and uh, it goes in through the digestive tract. You can't absorb potassium through other routes you've got to eat it so the potato as far as i'm understanding what people are saying to me sits in the bed with its skin on and you have your skin on and in that way you're not going to get the 
a small amount of potassium that's in the potato out of the potato and into you. So I, I don't think it's a chemical thing from the potato. I think it's a physical thing and a placebo effect. I think there's two things going on. But we'll find out. I'm going to do some prodding and see what, what uh, emerges if anyone else has, has got some rational explanations for why this works. Okay, so we are going to wrap up the show, but there's one voice note about someone being a world-class fidgeter. Yep, I don't know about fidgeting and waste loss. I am a prime fidgeter amongst the top 10%, I'm sure. Not only am I that, I am a scurrier. I can walk 8,000 steps a day just in the house, running from <laughs> wow. one thing to the other, to and fro, to and fro like Lorio's woman in the background when he's just wanting to sit. Um, and I cannot say that I weigh less than I ought to weigh. Oh, <laughs> no. Fidget in my fingers because I'm a musician, so I play the piano, so I have music in my head all the time. <laughs> Thank you Well, of course, if, if you go fidgeting good. and wandering off to the biscuit tin, then you are offsetting the effect of the fidgeting and the wandering. So you have to combine <laughs> the fidgeting with self-control as well. You mustn't put the biscuit tin or the sweetie jar within reach so that you do at least have a, to do some work to go and get the treat. <laughs> and that's then the fidgeting will work so there you go Kino you can add that to your repertoire of, of interventions I certainly will no more biscuit jars in my <laughs> house thank you very much Chris have a wonderful All right, weekend Andrew. looking forward to next week cheers mate bye bye that is cheers mate there we go Dr Chris Smith the naked scientist on ktalk.co.za on the app on DSTV channel 885 and across the city on 567am join the conversation this is Cape Talk.